Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to start off in Luke chapter number 13, beginning in verse number 28. Though it was covered yesterday, there's something amazing about the kingdom of God that I want to bring out to you as to who Jesus' audience is and what this kingdom is being referred to. As we move forward into Jesus' lament over Jerusalem, a broken heart for a people who claim to be of God, who indeed should be of God, but whose hearts are so far from God that they aren't even being acknowledged or recognized. And and it does break the heart of Jesus because he sees the hope. He sees the potential. He sees the, the opportunity, and yet they still refuse. Sounds a lot like today. So we'll get into it. In the blessed name of Jesus, let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We thank you for your time. We thank you for your time. Father, we may think that we're blessing you with our time, but that's not true. That's not true at all. You have blessed us with your time in this time to be able to connect with with you and the praise and rejoicing of the Holy Spirit within us that would so long to have this moment every day to be able to separate from all of the insanity that he's had to go through in our daily life, to have to separate from, uh, be able to separate rather from all of the the choices that we've made, whether they be good or whether they be evil. I mean, all of these different things just for an opportunity to be able to separate unto the holy separate unto the the perfect word of God in this moment that we study these things that that we could glorify you that we could honor you that we could be faithful to you through the spirit in Jesus name amen and it's a truth guys you think about the fact that the holy spirit is the seal unto your salvation and so he resides within you he's placed in you at the point of your acceptance of Jesus and salvation to be able to guide you, in some cases to rebuke you, in all cases to instruct you through the Word of God. And yet, if you spend more time outside of the Word of God than in it, then the Holy Spirit really doesn't have anything to be able to use to work with you. So you've been a Christian for, well... Let me take that back. I'll have to define that that distinction. But you've been a believer for 10 or 15 years, but you've gone back from church, back from studying God's Word, back from everything that connects you to the Father, and you've done whatever you've wanted to do. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's left you, nor does it mean that the seal can, though he may want to. <laughs> But it does mean that that in your lack of connection with God's word, your lack of connection to God's house, that you've caused the Holy Spirit to suffer. Because the one person, the one thing that the Holy Spirit desires more than anything else is God's word, is the connection to the Father and the Son, because he is part of that blessed and holy trinity, and they 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 are one and he wants to have that communion with the father and the son and and what happens is is that when we suppress that communion because we do not pray or we suppress that communion because we do not study 
God's Word daily, or we do not go to the house of God and meet with the saints of God rejoicing in the work of the Father. In any of these cases, we, we neglect those things. The end result is, is that the Holy Spirit within us suffers. And He suffers daily sometimes. And that ought to break our hearts. So, back to Luke chapter 13 and verse number 28 is something that I was saying to you earlier is concerning the kingdom of God. That I back you up. I'm going to start a little higher. Verse number 25 of Luke 13 says, When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door, you begin to stand without and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us, and he shall answer and say to you, I don't have any idea who you are. And when you begin to say, we, we've eaten and drunk in your presence, and, and you have taught us in our streets. But he'll say to you, I, I don't have any idea who you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. <laughs> then there shall be uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, here's a point. When you shall see... In other words, S-E-E, -E, as in with your eyes, you will be able to see this thing occurring when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Now, <clears throat> when Jesus is making this teaching at this particular point in his life, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been separated from this world for at least 3,000 years, at least. So, all of the prophets, I mean, you're, you're working your way up to John the Baptist being the last of those prophets that would be recognized as revealing the Messiah. And so, you, you know, that's that's been within a couple of years, but all of those prophets dating back from Jeremiah, dating back to all of these guys, are going to be in the kingdom of God. But of course, as Jesus teaches the kingdom of God to, to those like Nicodemus or to those like Joseph of Arimathea or much of the teachings of the kingdom of God that we have learned up to this point has been a kingdom that that is in this particular day, in this modern day time at the time of Jesus and moving forward. This would be a kingdom that was spiritual, could not be seen by the eye as Jesus referenced it to being like the wind. You can't see where it's coming and you can't see where it's going, but you feel the effect and the, you experience the power of it. He said, so are all the children of the kingdom. You, you, you don't know one person from another from looking at their physical stature, their physical person, if they're a child of God or not. But the fruit of their labor and the joy of their heart in, in their salvation, the very experience of being with them will reveal very quickly that you are indeed with a child of God who was born into the kingdom. And this is very important because the kingdom of God as it is, as it is to us, the Gentiles, and as it was that Jesus taught the very beginning of, of this kingdom, even to Peter when he's cutting the ear of the servant, the priest's servant off, as Jesus is getting arrested, and he said, this is not how we operate in this kingdom, it's very important for us to understand that the kingdom of God is a very real 
and very, very true kingdom that we all exist in as children of God this very day, a spiritual kingdom that cannot be seen with the, with the bare eye, but experienced through power in the Holy Spirit. But the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, keeping in mind that this be the kingdom Jesus is referring to right now, the kingdom of God in the Old Testament is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus would teach. Now, if you're with me on Fridays, then you have that stack of notes called the five things you need to know. If you're confused right now, just go back to those notes and it will explain everything to you. But I'm going to give you a short rundown now. So the kingdom of God in the Old Testament is referenced to that moment that shall take place between Revelation 19 and Revelation 20. As we see at Revelation 19, beginning in verse number 7 and moving down to the end of the chapter, that, that Jesus returns. That is the moment of what is called the second coming of Messiah. And he returns in, the, in all of his glory. And of course, he has a whole army with him, which will be us who have been, who have been taken up to be with him forever. And uh, he, he has a whole army with him. And that that's the Old Testament Israel. That's the martyred saints. That's the church that all be with him. And he snatches up that, that prophet, that false prophet that's found in a great definition of him in, in Revelation 13, beginning about verse number 10. He, he snatches up that old false prophet, and he snatches up that Antichrist. He's Revelation 13, verses 1 to 9. And, and he throws them alive into the lake of fire at the end of Revelation 19. At the beginning of Revelation 20, Satan is locked up by an angel sent on task from God. And for a thousand years, Jesus is going to rule and he's going to reign on this earth as revealed from verses 1 to verses uh, 10. He's, he's going to rule and he's going to reign. Now, this is the kingdom that Jesus refers to in the New Testament as the kingdom of heaven. But all of the Old Testament saints did not see the church, and he did not see, they, they did not see the reality of a spiritual kingdom that would be built by the Messiah. They didn't see any of that. They looked over the New Testament from their period of time straight into the millennial reign. And so what is referenced to the kingdom of God in the Old Testament is what Jesus teaches as the kingdom of heaven in the New Testament. Very important to understand that. And the people that Jesus is speaking to right now in Luke chapter 13, the people that Jesus is teaching are his disciples, are his apostles, are, are those people that are Hebrew and understand what, what the kingdom of God is from the Old Testament perspective. And that's exactly what he's teaching on right now. So as you see the kingdom of God here in your heart, in your thinking, because of your studies, you now understand that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not in 
the the spiritual kingdom of today because they're up in heaven they've been delivered under the throne room of god at the resurrection of jesus but they will be returning to this earth when jesus comes back in revelation 20 for that millennial reign they will be returning in the kingdom of heaven and so all of the people around Jesus in Luke chapter 13 readily understood what Jesus was saying here when he said kingdom of God because they understood that it would be that future kingdom of the Messiah that would be coming. What they, what they didn't realize is, is that it wasn't going to happen now because everybody believed that Jesus was Messiah. So as he teaches that the kingdom of God is at hand, or he teaches that the kingdom of God is coming, and all of these guys are going to be returning, everybody gets excited in this period of day, because they're expecting to see all of their loved ones. They're expecting to see all of their their patriarchs. They're expecting to see all of their heroes of the faith that that will will come back with Messiah when he when he rises to his kingdom and they're thinking that it's going to be happening really soon so they're all thrilled to pieces but that's not what jesus said (laughs) they missed it and we miss it so my goodness what in the world is the lord going to do when all of his children miss it but understand this you're dealing with a millennial reign And this is pretty important. He says, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see. Now, those who are separated unto Sheol, those who are separated from the pits of hell. Now, remember, he says, But I shall say to you in verse 27, I I don't have any idea who you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. He would say, Depart from me, all ye. Well, they must have been cast into hell keeping in mind that Jesus is talking about the disciples. He's talking about the apostles that are right there that, that have denied him, maybe, that are that may have been ashamed of his, his, his message or ashamed of him. He said, there shall be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth when you shall see. Now, folks in hell cannot see the events that are happening on the earth. Folks in hell cannot see the events that are happening in heaven. Folks in hell can't see anything but the suffering that they currently endure. But Jesus is saying, you're going to weep and you're going to gnash with your teeth when you shall see. And the reality is is that, that, that these folks, though they've been rebellious as revealed in Luke chapter 13, If they be in hell, they wouldn't have an opportunity to be able to see it. But Jesus is saying that you will have the opportunity to be able to see it, so they couldn't be in hell. When you shall see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets, where? In the kingdom of God. (laughs) But you thrust out. Now, this is the very key is that there if if you were put in hell on that thrusting out you wouldn't see these guys in this kingdom but the reality of be, of being thrust out is the understanding and and this is kind of a frightening concept it goes right along with revelation 22 with all them folks that are standing outside the gate that can't come in is that the the return of christ and this is this is just 
looking into the Word of God. I'm not saying this is 100% because we're dealing with events that, that are taking place at a future period of time that nobody knows. But we consider these things because Jesus taught these things, and, and, and it certainly has one, one of many ways to be able to look at it, and, and I rejoice in being able to sift through and, and feast upon all of the possibilities in what I may personally believe. Now, a lot of people would just like a, a, a Crayola Bible. A lot of people would just like it simple. Just give me a coloring book and let me just color. A lot of people would love for you to just tell them what it says and they say, okay, that's what it says and they just go on with their life. But that's not studying. That's not digging into to, to the things of God and becoming intimate with God's Word, becoming intimate with the Father Himself. That's not asking God the questions and digging and saying, I want to know you better. I want to know you more impact my life with this word you see if we're looking for the simple road unfortunately we're probably going to find it but that's not learning that's not understanding we need to dig but think about this think about this he he says you're going to be thrust out when these things take place is it possible that there is a whole crew of people because of how f- unfaithful they've been, how faithless they've been. Though God had saved them, that's God's prerogative, and he keeps his promises regardless of what man does on his end. But that you would have to face this scenario that that you being the unfaithful would would be literally cast aside even in heaven. That, that, that while all the rest of the, the saints would return to, to serve the Lord in the kingdom of heaven, you would be kept in some obscure area there in the throne room of God as, as separated from those who served and those who were serving because you did nothing. That when the kingdom of heaven would be instituted and the, the host of the Lord would come with him on all those white horses that you would have been thrust out of that opportunity, that you would be kept back into the, the, the throne room of God because of what you did not do, because of how you did not love, how you did not serve, how you did not and were not faithful to Christ. Oh, God won't ever take something from you that he gave as a gift because God is not like man. That would be theft. (coughs) Excuse me. That would be theft. But God does not have to, to be equal. Like we have this whole idea in this world of equality. Everything's got to be equal. Everybody's got to get a trophy. Everybody's got to be praised alike. No one can be better than anyone else in our society. And we've killed ourselves on that. Don't think for one second that God is required to be equal to everyone simply because you think that's the way things should go. Who in the world are you? And God is not equal at all. God blesses greatly those who serve him. 
but apparently thrusts out those who don't. Perhaps you just want everything to be equal because you don't want to serve God in this life, but you don't want to have to face being thrust out in the next. Well, I'm sorry to say, but God's not going to be equal just because you want it to be that way. And if you won't serve Him now, why in the world should He give you all of the blessings of those that do serve Him when you get there? Think on that just for a little bit. Because keep in mind, in verse 29, they're coming from the east and coming from the west and coming from the north and the south and going to sit down in the kingdom of God, being the kingdom of heaven. And there, there's going to be people who, who showed up last that are going to be first. You say, well, how's that equal? <laughs> right. Uh, there are going to be people who were there first who are going to be last. And you know what? The person that was there first who ends up being last is going to rejoice in the fact that he's last because of all the other people that got there after him that, that should be preferred before him. They should be preferred before him. Isn't that exactly what John the Baptist is saying? He which was first became last, right? John the Baptist was first born six months before Jesus came, and he said, he, he that was born after me is preferred before me. He said, I, I might have been first, but I'm happy to come in last behind him because, praise God, he's, he's the first before all things. He was here before all things existed. This Jesus. Think about that for a little while. Beginning in verse number 31, we see here that it says, The same day there came a certain of the Pharisees, a certain, oh, now listen, a certain. This is somebody Jesus knows. This is somebody intimate to Jesus. This isn't somebody that's just random. This is somebody that's been around Jesus for a little bit. A certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, Get out and depart from here. Because Herod's going to kill you. Now, understanding, this, this Pharisee is not fussing at Jesus to tell him, we don't want you here anymore. No, this Pharisee is actually concerned about Jesus and, and is really wanting to ensure that, that Jesus is kept, that Jesus is safe. Now, who in the world of the Pharisaical order could you imagine would ever care that Jesus would die at the hand of Herod? Who, who in the world could this person be that, that he would be concerned with Jesus' life to, to want Jesus to flee before Herod would grab a hold of him? Who in the world could this be? I've got my speculations. Jesus has already had a great conversation with Nicodemus, and we know that Joseph of Arimathea and both of these guys are Pharisees. We know that Joseph of Arimathea uh, came and collected the body of Jesus and gave, gave him his body, Joseph's tomb, to be able to rest in for those three days. So it could be either of these guys that really does truly care for Jesus and appreciate his ministry so that when you see in verse 31 they're like get out of here you know Herod's coming it isn't because they're angry with him but because they really want to keep him safe but Jesus he's got to tell these guys and I love this point that Jesus says now again please consider this 
Our loving and gentle, lowly baby in the manger, Jesus, with soft skin and, and, and beautiful hair and, and, and a pleasant smile and a pale complexion and, oh, how embarrassing these pictures I'm painting are. Uh, but, but this Jesus, this gentle Jesus, this love, 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 look at what he has to say about Herod. In verse number 32, he said to these guys, he said, go and tell that fox, I cast out devils and I do cures to, today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. <laughs> go tell that old fox. <laughs> I love that. You tell that sly uh, devil, you tell him that uh, I cast out devils. You you go tell that old devil himself that I'm I'm getting rid of his kingdom. I'm kicking him out. Now remember, Jesus just finished talking to his disciples and talking to that crowd about when the kingdom of God comes, and Jesus said, "I cast out devils." Well, praise God, what he's trying to say to that old Herod is, "Hey, devil, I cast your own works out because I'm coming." I'm coming, he said. You tell that old fox that I cast out devils and I do cures. I cure people today. I'll cure people tomorrow. And when it comes to the third day, I'm going to rise, baby. Oh, how beautiful that is. But he goes and he says, Now, this is a whole message that Jesus said. Uh, to to Herod, essentially, through these Pharisees, he said, Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. Oh, you know what? Jesus understood something that I wish we could grasp today. Jesus understood that his death, and he knew he was going to die, but he knew that his death couldn't come one moment before it was planned by the Father. Jesus knew his death would have to happen in Jerusalem, that it couldn't happen where he was on the outskirts of Jerusalem as he was heading to it. That it didn't matter what mankind tried to throw at Jesus, there wasn't anything that was going to kill him before he walked through the gates of Jerusalem because that is where the Father's plan is. And Jesus said it. He said, you tell him to come on. If he thinks he can do something to me, you tell him to come on. But I'm here to tell you, he's powerless. He can't do anything to me. He said, I'm going to be alive today. I'm going to be alive tomorrow. I'm going to be alive the day following. You know why? Because I haven't made it into Jerusalem yet, and a prophet cannot perish outside of Jerusalem. Man, Jesus just nailed him right there. I mean, that that was an open invitation. Come on and come on and try and kill me. Come on. You know, if you had that level of of tenacity, if you had that level of of faithfulness to God and and, and literal courage to be able to look the the world in in the eye and, and face to face and say, "Come on, what you got? He that is in me is greater than he that is in you." So, what do you got? You know, great greater it is the strength that I'm possessed through the Spirit than the strength you possess in the devil. Come on, what do you got? Praise God, I'm going to share the gospel with you and you can't touch me until it's the Father's will, so you're just going to have to grind your teeth and wish that I could be killed because I ain't stopping 
until my father calls me home and there's nothing you can do about it. Imagine if we had that level, that kind of courage to proclaim the gospel. Would, would that be powerful, wouldn't it? That'd be powerful. And so he goes, and, and this is the lamentation. This is the weeping of Jesus as he looks to this people and he cries, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophet, and stones them that are sent unto you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, but you wouldn't. But you wouldn't. Behold, your house is left you desolate. And verily I say to you, you shall not see me until the time come when you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, the, the point of Luke 13, 35, he said, you, You'll not see me. Now, guys, there are none so blind. How many times have I said this? There are none so blind as those who will not see. The whole of Jerusalem's Messiah is right in front of them. The whole of Israel's Messiah has been with them these three years. The whole of God's chosen people have seen the Messiah, and yet they didn't see him. He was right there, and yet they couldn't tell it. They couldn't see him, and no connection to him. And Jesus said, you shall not see me, even though he's right there. But the truth is, is that the best place to hide is in plain sight, isn't it? Uh, the, most of the time when you lose things, it isn't because you hid them from yourself. It's because you left them in a plain, uh, just a, a place that is plain to be able to see. You frantically look for this thing because now it's been called upon to be found. And you look for it, you look for it, it's right there in plain sight. But you look everywhere but the plain sight places. And when, you, when you're flustered and it's all over, there it is. Well, that's exactly what Jesus said right here. He said, that I say unto you, you will not see me until the time comes when you shall say. Now, this is a painful point because in, in verse 35 here, this isn't a time that's going to happen until the end. This isn't going to be an event that takes place until after all of these people are well gone and dead. This, this is a time of the second coming of Christ, all the way over in Revelation chapter number 19. This, this, this isn't dealing with, with the here and now as concerning the biblical time that he's in. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's not happening until then. There are many generations that will die never knowing the Messiah, and never being being able to go to heaven because of their rejection of their Messiah, all the while believing that they were faithful children of God when they were the children of the prince of the power of the air because of their rejection of their Messiah. 
How broken of a heart could that possibly be? And that is what's so important about the work that the Messianic congregations, the Messianic Jewish congregations around us and in this world today, that is what is the of the utmost of importance of their labors. And we, as believing Christians, ought to be uniting with these Messianic congregations and helping them and working with them and because the very people that they're reaching out to above and beyond the Gentiles is the very people that the church should have been reaching out to this whole time that has been neglected, and that is the Jews, the chosen people of God. Who, if they do not hear the gospel of the kingdom and they do not hear the message of Messiah unto salvation, will be separated from God for eternity, just like us Gentiles. And there is no time to waste. And so I call you to Luke chapter number 14 today. And in Luke chapter number 14, we're going to begin in verse number 1. We're going to read down to verse number 6. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus comes back into yet another Sabbath day. <laughs> and what does that spell for Jesus but another opportunity for the Pharisees to come after him? <laughs> so let's take a look at it. It says, And it came to pass, in verse number 1, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him, uh, the chief Pharisees. And he goes to eat bread on the Sabbath day, and they watched him. Oh, the devils, how they like to watch. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Oh dear, what we shall face in this moment. So let's take a look at that and see what is before us. The dropsy. Now, what is this? Hydro, or, or rather, I should say, hydropikos is this word in Greek, the dropsy, hydropikos. And, and what it's, it literally means is as if looking watery is what that is referring to, to be dropsical or have the dropsy. And so that that is a Greek, but that really doesn't tell us anything. So what I'm going to do real quick is is I'm I'm curious about this. I want to know what this dropsy is, and so I'm going to dig into it a little bit here. Um let's see. What is uh, Let me back up dropsy. Yeah, there we go. Looking at dropsy here. It's an edema. Okay. It's an edema. It's a swelling that caused by fluid retention. Okay. Fantastic. It occurs in legs, ankles, hands, face, and other body parts. So it, it, it's it's an, a swelling of the body. An edema, ultimately, that would be caused most likely by heart failure, where you would have... Uh, a situation where the the fluid retention would build up so great in the swelling of the of the body's appendages, mostly it happens in the feet and in the in the legs, is that they would literally the fluid would be so so 
pressing against the skin that it would literally start leaking through the skin, and that would be what was considered the dropsy during this period of time. And so this man is 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 there who has this issue of fluid retention that that is most likely suffering from heart failure or or certainly something very similar to that with with all of the the means of his fluid retention and Jesus seeing this man and and the possibility of his imminent death if it if if the situation is not corrected Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees in verse number 3 saying is it lawful to heal on the sabbath day <laughs> I mean you know can I have permission to heal this guy so that you guys don't freak out on me and start accusing me of everything but being the messiah get 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 is is it okay to heal people on a sabbath day what did they do they held their peace they held their peace. Why can't they answer such a simple question? Is it lawful to do good or to do evil? Is it lawful to save life or to kill it, to destroy it? Is it lawful to heal? Yes, the answer. It's very clear. Yes, it's lawful to heal someone on the Sabbath day. It's not a, a, a work as concerning the point of servile work. Yes, if, you're, if your sheep has broken its leg on the Sabbath day, that you will carry that sheep on your shoulder. Yes, if, if, if your loved ones are sick, the doctor's always on call, even a Sabbath day. Yes, it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath day. But those Pharisees and lawyers makes you just want to strangle their neck sometimes. They held their peace. So Jesus took him and healed him. <laughs> Jesus took him and healed him and let him go. And you know, you know that the fire was burning in their soul as soon as he did that. But then Jesus answered them. Oh, oh! by the way, they held their peace. So there wasn't anything coming out of their mouth. But Jesus as is referenced so many times already in the Gospel of Luke here, Jesus knowing their thoughts. Verse 5, he answered them, Which of you shall have a donkey or an ox that falls into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? Now see, y'all can accuse me of anything but being Messiah, but you would have done the same thing, and that is why Jesus said, you hypocrites. Hypocrites. And they could not answer him to these things. Couldn't say anything. Couldn't say a word. Well, praise God we're coming up on a parable, and it's a perfect time because we're going to be hitting this parable tomorrow. And, and as it is Friday, what a joy and a rejoicing. Uh, we're going to get into a parable. Praise God. And it's one of my favorite ones. It is the wedding feast. Yes! I love this one. So, nevertheless, we'll, I'll leave you hanging on it. We'll get into it tomorrow afternoon you do not want to miss this tell all your friends they got to tune in because this is cool 
Father, we are grateful, asking thy blessing upon the rest of our day, that we may live it well and rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you, and I shall catch you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Take care.